You are listening to the Radiant Brilliance Show podcast. The Radiant Brilliant Show is a cultural community podcast featuring relevant topics of conversation to keep us thinking, learning, and positively interacting with one another. I'm your host, Kimberly Kalima. I also highlight others that strive to help make the world a better place through their skills and talents. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. I have a little bit of a summer cold. So there were a couple of episodes that I've put off until I've gotten my voice back. However, due to some of the recent current events in the news, I felt as though I needed to say something. I needed to say something to help start or further a conversation amongst each other. It's very important that we talk. It's also very important that we listen. That is the only way to grieve together, to learn together, and to grow together. So I appreciate you taking the time to check out some of my thoughts. And um, whatever comments you have, you can join my community on Facebook, the Radiant Brilliant Show podcast, or you can also find me on Instagram under TRBS podcast. And we can discuss further and continue trying to make this world a better place for us and for the future. Recently, there were some terrible atrocities that have occurred here in the United States of America. The three most recent ones were mass shootings, one that occurred in Gilroy, California, one that occurred in El Paso, Texas, and shortly after that, the same day, 13 hours later, Dayton, Ohio. These were all uh, deemed as mass shootings or massacres. Investigators and police are still trying to get to the bottom of the reasoning of why, why these places were chosen, why these people were targeted. My heart goes out to the survivors of these victims, their families, their friends, their loved ones, their co-workers. We are so knitted together in our communities, whether it's someone you see at the grocery store on a regular basis, at your gas station, the security guard at your job. Perhaps it's uh, someone at the daycare where you drop off your child, the person who rotates your tires for you at your repair shop, at the grocer. We are at our at our faith communities, our, our churches, our synagogues, our, our masjids, our temples. People congregate for all kinds of reasons and we bond and we get to know one another even if it's just a, a familiar face on the seat on the bus next to you. So it is it is a horrible tragedy to witness all the this loss of life over aggressions and, and or hate. Someone's brain just not quite processing what it needs to to function in normal society. What speaks the loudest to me, I feel generationally, is the the fact that some of these were targeted hate crimes where people have digested so much hate and, and negativity and the feeling of having the power to erase certain people because they don't fit into the narrative 
of what a human being should be that's horrible, whether it's their race or their religion or any of the ways that we choose to label or divide ourselves. The fact that their brain got to a point where they felt like they needed to um, exterminate or eliminate precious lives is just absolutely devastating. It's also very frightening because you don't know which group these people will target in another venture. You don't know. You don't get it. And it doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't. However, I wanted to come to you um, expressing sympathy for the families of lost loved ones and friends and for the people who survived who will be psychologically damaged because that is another another purpose behind um, terrorist acts is that you frighten people who live into a certain uh, behavior that you hope will keep them, quote unquote, in their place. So much, so much uh, psychological residue from this. But I wanted to take a moment just to be honest with you all. And I hope that you can be honest as well. And I feel that I may be speaking for some of us who just haven't yet verbalized how they feel in the African-American community. Not all of us. There's quite a few who really don't feel like this issue really pertains to them. And I may not understand that, but I can respect it. Every cause is not yours to fight. However, there were some parallels I wanted to address and just speak on it. So thanks. Thanks for your patience. It's particularly hard to hear about other ethnicities going through what African and African-Americans went through for hundreds of years here in the United States of America. And I speak not only to having been enslaved, but I mean uh, discriminatory housing practices, being denied jobs because of the way you look or the way you dress or the way that your hair is, uh, certain neighborhoods where you have white flight, where people would move out because you moved in. Children not being allowed to play with one another because they have different racial backgrounds. Turning your music down because it's not the type of music I want to listen to, um, which Jordan Davis lost his life behind. African-Americans haven't had the privilege of comfortability in which we could speak and say this makes us uncomfortable and things were changed. We haven't had the privilege of comfortability when it comes to law enforcement here in America. Different things have happened to people that I know personally and to myself. People can tell you stories on end about how nervous they are with being approached with a law enforcement agent, whether it's a sheriff, whether it's the police department, whether it's your average security guard. We don't have the privilege of comfortability in which we can say, hey, I don't like this, make it stop. Oh, well, let's just make it stop. We haven't been afforded that, okay? It's, it's really hard for me to hear about the things that have happened to our Latino brothers and sisters and in essence with them targeting groups of people. America uh, has all different types of racist nationality, religions, creed. In essence, you, you also killed other people. Much like if you remember 9-11, there were several different races, religions that died during that horrible, horrible attack. In some ways, I've, I've heard some of the people speaking regarding El Paso that they felt like that was their 9-11. And I can, uh, I, I think that's a pretty fair comparison because after 9-11 happened, America was gripped with fear. You didn't know if there was going to be another attack. You didn't understand the reasons behind it. The warnings from your leaders got worse and worse and worse, you know, orange alert and duct tape and things of that nature. 
You were afraid to look in the sky and watch airplanes. I know I was. We were addicted to the news. We we wanted something to forewarn and, and protect us. Everywhere you went, you just didn't know. And the flip side of that, anyone who was Muslim or had a headdress pretty much was, are you a terrorist? Uh, or they caught the, the blame or the brunt or the, the anger that Americans couldn't give to the people who flew the planes, as the story goes. So the Latino community that was absolutely targeted for the El Paso, uh, according to the manifesto, they're afraid. They don't know when the next attack will be, if it will be one. They don't know are there other people feeling the same way. They've heard all the horrible things that have been said about them from the top down. From the top down, an example has been set for you to fear them and think horrible things about them. Like lent to a dryer sheet, there are people who are attracted to that type of rhetoric. They emulate it, they carry it out, and they feel emboldened to not only attack Latinos, but other minorities. I know everyone's watching where people upload videos of people being cursed out for going swimming or the police being called on them for grilling or being on the telephone or selling water. There's a certain behavior that's been emboldened, in my personal opinion, by the rhetoric that was reinvigorated in order to secure a campaign win. It was used as a tool and it seems to have carried on a life of its own. But I speak from my own sadness from hearing these things all over again in great force and quite frequently lately. Just wanted to say, you know, from people having lived the experience that African-Americans have here in America, or if you've listened to stories from from family members or listened to stories about sharecroppers and for those who have survived the Jim Crow era, too, as I mentioned before, the housing discrimination, job discrimination, denial of bank loans that was really happening a lot in the early 90s. I just have to confess that processing these current events has been difficult for me twofold. One is the fact that the the seething racism and prejudice has survived. It has survived for hundreds of years and has been passed down and replicated, redesigned, and reissued from generation to generation. Only to see that it's it's here now. I know one of the histories on the History Channel, history.com, they had a program that was basically telling you about the beginning of the Ku Klux Klan and how it was founded in order to be their own regiment to monitor and regulate free slaves. That was their own little police force set up to regulate and monitor and keep in check recently freed enslaved people. So that's where all of that really kind of got started as far as something that was a system, operations, processes, laws, organized situation. That's where it started. So here we are in 2019, generation upon generation upon generation has incorporated either the threatening part of it or the fear or the resistance into future generations. You can decide where you're at with that. That's one thing that that got me when hearing these things, you know, that started that long ago. And here we are, and it's still here. But my second point, which really was the reason for me uh, making this particular episode, and I just want to be very, very honest, and um, forgive me if it comes across wrong, if I'm offensive. It feels like everything that African-Americans talked about or ran from protested or rebelled against everything we sang about, everything we wrote about, rapped about, danced about, 
sang the blues about, warned our children about in relation to the violence that is often tied to racism, it was just cast aside. It was discarded, ignored, discredited, pretty much dismissed. We've been talking about how we've been treated here in this country for a very, 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 very long time. Old Negro spirituals reflect the oppression and the fear and the bad treatment, and we sang about it. We had to find a way to release it. You try to escape, you were killed. Or if you brought in money or did good work, they were, you were caught and brought back. Families were separated. Uh, sometimes parents were killed in front of their children in order to teach those children a lesson. But that was America and that was the law. It's been um, upsetting too when I see so many people in media, and I love media, I love broadcast journalism, who ask, are these things that are being uttered racist? Are these racist statements are these prejudice statements? And it's insulting. It's almost as if you have these people jumping up and down. You know, the kids in class, when a teacher says, uh, who can answer this question? And they have their hand up in the air and they're holding it with one arm on the desk or they're jumping up and down or waving their hand. They're like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I know, I know. And they just skip over them and go to the one student maybe who wasn't paying attention. Well, in the classroom of America, apparently that is what seems like it has been happening. We were the student jumping up and down with our hand in the air saying, hey, I've got the answers. Hey, this is what's going on. Hey, it's happening again. Hey, this is what this means. And they were ignored for the students who were not really, you know, paying attention. You see, we know the language. We know the language. We know the words. We know the fear. And yet it's trending now. The trending word of a white white supremacy or a white supremacist uh, or racist or prejudice. To see those words trending, I'm glad the awareness is there. Let me say that first. But it almost feels like a slap in the face. It's this new white supremacy. Only in the last 10 years have the numbers been rising. We've noticed an uptick. White supremacy has been around it's been here. It is embedded in the culture of America. It is embedded in the prison system. It is embedded in the educational system. It is well woven into many of our communities and it will decide if you move there or not. It will decide who you want your neighbor to be, who you want your college, uh, your child's college roommate to be. Um, it will decide the way you speak at work and how you answer the phone. The names you give your children is, is what it will decide because there's a certain level you have to meet in order to be accepted to, to, to make it through that threshold of survival. There's some type of assimilation you're expected to have or give. And the ones who don't, they're rabble rousers, they're troublemakers, you know, um, they're uppity Negroes. But to see people get on television and say, we're, you know, I don't think it's racist. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You can just look back. Um, to a lot of your African-American friends, possibly, or neighbors, uh, maybe the African-Americans your grandparents knew or your parents knew, and ask them. We've lived through it, and we are a very connected society. So whatever pain one of us felt a long time ago, we still feel it now. Whatever love one of us had for something, we cherish and honor, honor it, and we still have it now. Very, very communal like that. But to hear that it's a new word, excuse me, to hear that it's a new word, to see that it's trending, again, I'm glad it has come to the forefront. It's about time. 
it's about time. All the damage that it has now done and loss of life, it's, it's past time. But it, it's almost an insult because white supremacy to me is like if you've ever studied uh, like the dinosaurs and, and um, parts of school where you saw how animals used to look compared to how they look now and how if you've ever gone back and seen how horses' feet were in prehistoric times, well, the way their feet evolved from what it looked like then to what it is now is how white supremacy uh, has evolved. And it's come galloping back with even more sophisticated force because now we have the internet. So negative messages can be spread faster, more often, and it can also be hidden uh, and, and have like an underworld of communication and planning and things of that nature. But, you know, the military escorting a black child to school to integrate it for her safety. When they were integrating schools many, many um, years ago, they were trying they, they started with the very young children and to have a young child to have to go to a school with the military to make sure that they were okay. What does that say about how other Americans were treating one another? Sitting at a counter to eat and being hit and spat on because your kind is, is not allowed here. You're not welcome here. Um, again, please study the history of America and you'll see the signs with the separate drinking fountains. Um, the separate rest restrooms based on, on your color, the side entry doors or the back entry doors, if there were any at all. This is how we treated fellow human beings. Just reiterating it because it's not new. The 16th Street church bombings where the four little girls were killed. Check the history of, of America, please. The fire bombings of homes of, of black leaders or death threats on, on phone calls. None of this is new. It's just changed clothes and, and come back to the party. Marching for the right to vote, marching for fair laws, being hosed by policemen and bitten by German shepherds, being beaten by bully clubs, even though you were just peacefully protesting. This is not new. And it is a shame that it has reemerged with the force and, and the vengeance that it has. We can come forward. We don't have to stay back in the 50s and 60s. We can fast forward. And Mother Emanuel Church, the mass shooting there. Around that same time period, there were several uh, African-American churches that were set on fire. That was no accident. It alerted me then, you know, hey, there is something going on. If you do follow politics, when President Obama mentioned that he was going to be running, there was an uptick in gun sales. You may want to check that. I remember reading articles about that. And there were other politicians who were having shotgun socials. They were giving away assault rifles to encourage people to come and vote for them. And I remember reaching out to one of the, I don't know if it was a radio personality or one of those people who were along the lines of Rush Limbaugh, because I just wanted to make some sense of it. Um, I wanted to know, you know, uh, could they give out uh, assault weapons in every community? Is this something going on that I need to know about? But there was article and on top of article regarding different militia. You started seeing the advertisements online, but they were being promoted as shotgun socials were giving away these particular weapons come out we just want you to vote so I don't know how that would play out anywhere else I don't know how that would play out at a rap concert uh, that we're gonna give out some rapid fire uh, guns I don't know how that would play out at uh, a Hispanic nightclub or a bar you know we're going to give out uh, some AKs 
to get everybody to come out and join. I don't know how that would play out. I don't know how well received that would be. I think there would be a great amount of suspicion. What in the world are you doing giving those items away? However, during the time when Obama announced that he was going to run and in the, uh, the early days of his candidacy, there was so much of this going on. And I myself was afraid for him. But again, there has been an evolution in how things happen. It left to change clothes and came back. It began to be uh, the, the presidents were more protected. Like um, after the assassination attempt with um, President Reagan, things changed with how we did the protection for the, our nation's leader. So that was something that it wasn't going to happen. To me, it was going to be something that was directed to the citizens in the street. A lot of people had the aggression and the anger, and it kind of rose up to the top. It started surfacing once we had a black president. Um, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. So I worried for people in the streets and what may occur. You know, we were making it on through, unless you consider the uptick in killings of African-American males and unarmed African-American males during Obama's presidency. We can't deny that those were happening and they were happening pretty frequently. I think there was one point, the Malcolm X Grassroots Institute, it had a number that I believe every 28 hours um, an African-American was killed extrajudiciously, um, whether it was law enforcement, whether it was security, whether it was police, but these men were being killed in the streets without having the benefit of having made it to anywhere to plead their case in court. The cases were happening back to back to back till we were running out of hashtags. We were running out of hashtags. I really believe that that was kind of a byproduct. That's just my personal opinion. And it was very eye-opening. But I could go on and on with that. Just to, as an example that the white supremacy has been here and has been enacted in several different ways. It's not just where they're directly lynching people anymore, uh, putting crosses in the grass and, and putting them outside of houses. There are more creative ways. And again, my inspiration for this is that African-Americans have been saying it and we've been telling people. And it feels like a slap in the face that we were totally disregarded, totally disregarded. Because if you have questions about the rhetoric that someone's using, why those things were said to us, we can tell you it's almost the exact same wording that I listen to different people that I know say what was told to them in the 50s or the 40s or the 70s or the 60s. It's the same thing. And I'm just surprised that people are trying to figure out, hmm, is it really insulting? Is it not? It's like the plight of the African-American family, male, female children was put on the back burner. It was still left on simmer, but it was just kind of on the back burner in lieu of, of other things. Lazy, dirty, disease infected. We've heard that. We've heard that. African-Americans have heard that. Oh, they're, they're thieves and they're rapists and they're just good for nothing. Those are not new terms. We've heard that. Oh, they're taking your jobs. They're coming here, taking the jobs from the good, hardworking Americans. We've heard that too. We were already here. And being from North Carolina, there was a campaign run by Jesse Helms, when um, Harvey Gant, our first African-American mayor, was running against him, he had an ad that showed a white male balling up a piece of paper. And they were asking, you know, are you angry because minorities are taking our jobs? These things are not new. What is the quote about that which you don't study, you're destined to repeat? And that's kind of what I'm saying here. You're going to lower the neighborhood values. You know, they move in and we got to move out. You know, the white flight situation. You don't want to be around a certain group of people. 
that's not new. It's just so much was ignored that we tried to share and we tried to say and tell you and communicate. So it was allowed to rise back up again. And, and that's kind of, that's what we're seeing. Again, I mentioned previously, you know, the church bombings, lynchings, unfair trials, unfair juries, not a jury of your peer. You know, family members go out on dark roads and they don't make it home. That is not new. It's been going on and we all know it. But, you know, as we nurse babies that we didn't even birth and we built this country, our fathers and grandfathers like stoically demanded respect from their households because they couldn't get it anywhere past their own front door. Let's be real about that as well. And if they did get some form of respect, most often um, it was at a a place of worship. And I know that was one place that held down the fort for African-Americans was their church or their temple. There you could get leadership roles and you could get the respect and you could dress nice and you could have your children in an environment that was totally safe, have the women in an environment that was totally safe and live a, a life of love and and community together inside that church or your temple or just in your home. We've heard all of those things that they're saying now. We've heard all of that. We've lived that and we continue to live it. Another thing that I don't think is being mentioned, and again, I ask y'all to go study the history of America and the toll that the systemic oppression has taken on African Americans, the psychological effects of these things that, that are done to keep us in place or keep us in line. I mean, you have people who act out, you have people who suffer from severe depression, the domestic terrorism against African-Americans. There are entire generations of people who just gave up because they wanted to survive. They didn't want to risk being killed so they could have their family grow up all together and still have their father or mother in the home. It was a, a lot of never minds going on. You had people who rose up. You had people who rebelled, who marched, who protested. But in some of those really dire times, again, if you check the history, some of the people we admire so much right now, a lot of other African-Americans didn't even want to associate with them. Oh, you're trouble. What's wrong with you? Be quiet. Why can't you be happy about this and that? Whatever. The mind mill that was going on from the domestic terrorism that made people cower, that made men lower their voices. It's not new. It's just change clothes and come back again. So sincerely, I'm glad that we're, it looks like at least this week, we're taking baby steps to quell the fire of, of violent acts nurtured by the gasoline of recycled hate language uh, that was used to stoke fears for election's sake. And and while words that previously had my ancestors, you know, strung from trees or beaten to an unrecognizable pulp like and tossed like confetti at a parade, you know, while non-blacks also who tried to help our causes of freedom and, and humanity and dignity and respect, a lot of them suffered the same fate as us internally. I weep. I weep for that. I, I For those decades and generations that came before me, but that we still carry, we still wear that residue. I weep. I'm glad we're having the conversation now. Save somebody, save somebody, save ourselves. But there is still a sadness for all of the times that we tried to make these things very obvious and it was either ignored or it just wasn't that big of a deal. It's just not that big of a deal. Because this, I'm sad for the old and for the new.
because what happened this past weekend is just a nightmare. It is a horrible nightmare. It is one of the worst reality checks we've had in a long time about the state of our American Union, you know, and we just want to ring with the harmony of liberty, but we've heard that too. And I personally just want to know if this time, if America is listening this go round, because none of this is new. We're a collective, a collective nation of human beings blessed with cultures that they present our lineage to one another. They tell our stories and they also enable us to learn so much from each other. It's, it's a, it's a blessing. It's something that we should appreciate, not used to oppress, you know, the differences to learn so much. And I must again reiterate, it's condescending to ask if the words that have been spoken by our national leaders, if they're prejudiced or racist, it's insulting to ask that of people who have been screaming for for relief from the tentacles of that language. Uh, we saw it resurfacing again um, when when President Obama ran and it fueled the vote for McCain and Palin. However, it grew legs and became its own monster. And we watched the Tea Party. Uh, if you remember when they were passing the Affordable Care Act, those people came out of the building, they were getting spat on and things were getting thrown at them. That was a flashback to the 50s and 60s and the protests peacefully walking out and people waiting on them to assault them you know and exactly how many ways can we have the talk with our sons the talk you know the one where you go over this is what you say to the officer this is how you sit this is how you reach for your wallet this is how you don't reach for your wallet how many times can we have that discussion with our sons knowing that the greater factor is not in what behavior they presented but what's already preconceived because we can't mind meld. We can only exist. And apparently a dam has burst. Somehow the general public stopped waiting for permission to talk about race. And by the general public, I mean the vast majority that's lived behind an invisible privileged shield. Many have chosen now to speak up and speak out and it's time. It's been pretty much proven that when the oppressed person speaks, they're accused of just being sensitive and why don't you just get over it? And it's not that big of a deal. Uh, America don't have an appetite for it. It makes you feel like uh, being generationally terrorized is not that big of a deal. That's how it makes you feel. Because it's like if it, if it was, um, it shouldn't take this long or this many deaths, and I'm counting way back here, or this much psychological terror for it to be addressed. But we all know that things don't happen in, in our time. Everything happens uh, when it's supposed to, and depending on your belief system, you can phrase it however you want. Things don't happen in our time. They happen when they're supposed to. And uh, what are we going to do? What can we institute to safeguard our future generations? I would encourage everyone listening to this no matter which side of the coin you're on, to please, please, please talk about race. Go ahead. The word will not bite you. Study American history. Uh, study the civil rights movement in particular, which should be more aptly titled the perpetual civil rights movement. There's been some commentary shared on social media that has been particularly riveting um, there's a professor, Eddie Gloud, university professor of African-American studies at Princeton University. He has a adept ability to kind of understand the processes, what we're going through, why we are the way we are with some really, really, really good solution. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of the media networks actually tapping the shoulders of their African-American reporters um, and news people to speak on it. I think that's just great because white supremacy isn't new. 
these people have survived it. Their parents survived it. Their grandparents survived it. There were enslaved people hundreds of years ago that we are the, the progeny of. We have answers. We have ways that you can deal. We, have, we can give you foresight. We can tell you if those words are racist or not. So I'm going to bring this to a close, but I want to thank you so much for just listening. I pray that I didn't offend anyone, but that I did possibly open some eyes to things. Maybe you can check, look up, and talk amongst one another. And remember, we're made from different tribes to learn from one another. There is merit in that. If you like the discussion that I had, by all means, please share. If you're so moved, shoot me an email at theradiantbrilliantshow at gmail.com. Again, you can join my cultural community podcast on Facebook under The Radiant Brilliant Show or link up with me on Instagram under TRBS Podcast. I want to thank you again for tuning in to The Radiant Brilliant Show where culture meets conversation. And I just want you to take an earnest look at the past then confer with your elders and start a conversation of your own. Until we talk again, thank you so much for listening. And assalamu alaikum.